Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles with you today, will you follow me once again to the book of Romans in chapter 12 as we continue our journey through Paul's epistle to the Romans. Romans chapter 12, our text today will be verses 3 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And the Bible says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this morning, and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the word that has been set before us. We ask, Father, as we endeavor to understand the truths and the principles that are herein, that you would give us wisdom and insight, that you would open our eyes that we may be able to see, open our ears that we might hear. Open our minds that we might perceive and comprehend and that this will be more than knowledge that is implanted in our brain, but it will be the living word of God that is implanted in the inner man and it will change us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we ask this morning, as always, that you would use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember, last week we talked about this idea that we have crossed the continental divide, continental divide from Romans chapter 11 to Romans chapter 12. And really, we walked over the bridge last week between these two divides uh, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 and chapter 1 through 11. Paul laid down for us uh, theological implications and truths and doctrines related to this gospel, uh, this righteousness of God, this gospel that was, uh, comes through faith alone and Christ alone apart from the law. And we spent a lot of time in Romans 1 through 11 understanding those indicative, those truth facts. And then we shifted as we began to cross this bridge. Paul is going to begin to open up for us the practical application of what these 
truth statements about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the gospel does for us spiritually and redeeming us, how it manifests itself in our life as we live on a day-to-day basis. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we learn that there are two overarching principles that govern our uh, fleshing out the gospel uh, manifestation in our life, uh, the redemption that God's given us. And those two things were, one, we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So God, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, through his word uh, that is implanted in us, will begin to change us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. He changes the way we think, which will in turn change the way we live and act in this world in light of the redeeming work that he's done in us through Jesus Christ. And then secondly... We were reminded that we were to present our bodies as living sacrifices uh, on the altar of obedience before God. That everything that we do every day uh, ought to be an act of sacrificial worship or service to the Lord. Our lives ought to be that act of sacrificial worship to the Lord. We offer ourselves daily uh, before Almighty God in obedience to the truths of his word. And Paul is going to begin today in our section that's set out before us to help us understand what that looks like. How does it look when believers offer themselves daily as living sacrifices to the Lord, their reasonable act of worship? How does that flesh out in our day-to-day life? Well, today Paul begins that for us with this idea of Grace and the implication of the grace that God has given us. What does that mean? What does it look like? And so we're going to talk about that uh, this morning, and we're really going to look at it from three headings. I think there are three main truths that Paul brings out in these verses set before us today. First, we see the humility that characterizes saving grace in verse 3. Then secondly, we'll see the unified diversity that characterizes saving grace in verses 4 and 5. And then thirdly, we're going to see the duty that characterizes saving grace. And I know we don't like that last part. We don't like the first part, really. But we don't like the last part, especially when we think about the idea of, of duty. But I think there is a responsibility that we have as believers to be obedient uh, to the Lord as he has redeemed us and saved us. And Paul will help us see that as we continue our journey through Romans. So today, let's first look at this idea of the humility that characterizes saving Grace, And so look with me again, if you will, in verse number three. And Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think himself more of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, here, here's Paul is giving us a charge to humility or Another way to put it is Paul has given us the charge to avoid sinful pride uh, in our lives. Well, here's our problem, and I like the way Dr. Steve Lawson uh, presented this problem. Our problem is that we want to look into the mirror and see our reflection and say, how great thou art. Is that not true of humanity? Do we not do that on a regular basis in our life? All you have to do is just think, listen to yourself. A lot of times when you are maybe sitting and watching someone on television who's doing a particular task, 
Okay, and you look at that task and you think and say all the ways that you could do it better, right? Or all the ways they're doing it incorrectly and how much more superior you could probably do it than that person is doing that. Now, you may be able to do it more superior than that person, but it illustrates the attitude. And I'm talking to myself, not anybody else in this audience right now, right? I know that I do that, right? We always think our way is the best and our thoughts are the best, do we not? Or am I the only one who thinks that way? That's our problem. We want to look into the mirror and say how great thou art. And then our society helps bolster that, doesn't it? By telling us that we ought to look into the mirror and say how great thou art. Well, Paul is telling us we need to take a different perspective, not to minimize the imago Dei, the glory of God that's in every human being because they are created by God and intrinsically we have worth because we are created by God, but we need to have a sober understanding of who we are as human beings in light of our sinfulness and in light of God's glory and in light of the redemption that God has wrought in us through Christ Jesus. And I think Paul illustrates that for us from the very first phrase in this verse. What does Paul say? He says, for by the grace given to me. In other words, Paul understands, although he's a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a well-educated in theology, he understands that the grace and the ministry that, that he, the ministry he has is because of the grace of God in his life. It's not because of who he was. It's because God called him to this. God give him this gift of grace to work in particular among the Gentiles. So Paul sets the standard for us even in that first statement. And then he makes this declaration, this universal declaration. Look at the next phrase. Because sometimes we might think that the things we're about to hear in Romans chapter 12 and beyond are for super holy saints, right? For those those high, you know, those up on the, the high part of the Christian totem pole, all right? Uh, but what does Paul say? Paul says, I say this to everyone among you. Now, the implication is both Jew or Gentile, because that's where he started out, right? This is the gospel. He's not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God and the salvation for whoever believes, both Jew and and Greek, or Jew and Gentile. And he's already shown those Jews who might have had a tendency to be a little bit high-minded because of their status as the um, covenant people of God. And Paul says, hey, you're just as guilty before God as the Gentiles. So, and then he, he don't, don't think he hadn't said that about the Gentiles. You remember in chapter 11, when Paul talks about those unbelieving Jews who were part of that one olive tree and God broke off that branch, those unbelieving branches and then he grafted in the wild branches and then shortly after that, Paul says to these Gentiles that were grafted in these wild branches, he says, hey, don't get too haughty because if God would break off the unbelieving Jews, how much more would he break off the unbelieving Gentiles? Right? So he's told that to us already, but he nails it home. And he says, this is for everyone. What we're about to understand in this particular context in verses 3 through 8 and the rest of Romans is for all of us, not just some of us. Every believer Paul is talking to. Then Paul gives two imperatives. He gives one in the negative and then the parallel to that in the positive. 
The first is the negative. He says not to think him of himself more highly than he ought to. And then the positive, positive is, but this is how he ought to think, with sober judgment. And there's really a play on words in this portion of the text. The word that really is the heart of the first phrase, this negative uh, imperative, is, uh, has wit, it's a compound word. It's has with it the idea of who pairs is the preposition. Uh, that's, that's at the beginning of this word. And who pair, if you listen, you would hear the concept of, of hyper, right? And the second part of that word is phroneo, which has to do with exercising the mind. So if you think about this hyper, we, we use it in words like hypertension or uh, hypoglycemia. So it has to do with being, being high or above, right? And so what he's saying is don't be high-minded about who you are. Don't be, don't, don't be looking down your nose as if you are at a higher level than the other people that are around you. Don't think of yourselves more greatly than you ought to think of yourselves. And the, the positive implication is think in a sober way about who you are. Think in a, really, it's another compound word. Uh, it, it's the same word for mind, phroneo, uh, but the prefix of that sentence comes from, or that word comes from the Greek word uh, sozo, which is the word for salvation. And so what is Paul saying? Salvation or, or be safe. He's saying think in a safe way about who you are. Think in a tempered way about who you are. And, and I would say, and again, you have to be careful doing this when you take the, the various components of words apart and make a definition of those words based on those components because that's not necessarily the, the correct way to always do that because really to understand the definition of a word, you need to understand it in context, right? How the author is using it in the context in, in immediately set before you and then how the author may use that in other places and you get a sense of how this author uses this particular word and what the general definition of that word is, what the range or the scope of meaning of that word is, but you cannot help but think, or at least I can't help but think, because Paul chose this particular word and it has inherent in it this idea of salvation or, or to be saved, to be safe, Paul has in mind everything he's just talked about in Romans chapter 1 through 11. And that we're to think of ourselves in light of the redemption that Christ has, all, has, has done for us. Right, And so we ought to understand what Paul has already told us. That one, our saving faith is a gift from God. And our serving faith is a gift from God. Everything that we are, everything that we will do is God working in and through us as the children of God. It's not of ourselves. There's nothing that I bring to the table. It's all of what God has done for me and what God will do through me. And that's why Paul starts this all the way that he does. And so when we, as a body of believers, look out at fellow believers, what Paul is going to remind us of in this passage is every one of us is important in the body of Christ. And every role that every one of us plays in the body of Christ is just as important as the next person. 
who is in the body of Christ. Now, Paul gives us this key or this measure by which we are to uh, temper ourselves, if you will, in our thinking. And so he says at the end of this verse, how are we to do this? How are we to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought, but to think with sober judgment? He says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, that's an interesting statement. The first thing that I think we have to answer is, what, what is this faith that he's talking about? What is this measure of faith that Paul is talking about? And we need to understand faith, we look at it theologically in two ways. One, there is objective faith. Objective faith is faith in Christ Jesus, right? He is the object of our faith. It is, it is the truth of the gospel. It is the, it is the standard of faith. It is, the, it is the truth that has been once for all delivered to the saints, right? That standard of faith, this objective faith. And then the second way we look at faith or we see it theologically in scripture is subjective faith. And subjective faith is our personal, uh, how, the, how our faith impacts us personally on a day-to-day basis, how we live in light of our faith in God in a practical way. Now, it seems as though Paul is making the argument here, and I think rightly so, contextually and grammatically, that this measure of faith is more subjective than it is objective. While there's an element of the objective faith because it's because of our faith in God that we serve and live and function in the kingdom of God, but this is that measure of faith that God has assigned to us that allows us to function and use our spiritual gifts, as we'll see in just a moment, in the kingdom of God and in kingdom ministry. So this is that measure of faith that God has given to us to function as he has gifted us. And so... To me, the, the, the important part of this passage is two things. One, that God is the one who gave us the faith, right? God is the one who gifts us, as we'll see later on. But secondly, that God has given us this measure of faith. And not all of us will be able to accomplish uh, our giftedness as equally as the other person, Right? But it's how God chooses to use us, how God intends for us to be productive in his kingdom. And we need to understand that, that no matter who I am, God's given me a measure of faith. He's given me a gift to use. My gift may be similar to yours, but my gift, I may use my gift in a slightly different way than you use your gift. But the point is, God's given it to me, and he's given one to you, and mine is no better than yours, and yours is no better than mine. It's all about how God is using each one of us. So we ought to focus on God and not ourselves. We ought to focus on God and not other individuals, right? And so our tendency, though, is to always compare ourselves to other individuals, isn't it? I, hey, I do it as a, as a preacher, right? I know there are people who are better at doing this than I am. And sometimes that, that weighs on me because I want to be like them, right? Well, God didn't call me to be like them. God didn't call me to be like Billy Graham. or He didn't call me to be like those preachers that I like and that I listen to. You know what God's called me to be? He's called me to be Ronnie. And that's all I can be. And I can only do what God has gifted me to do with the personality and the skill level that God has given it to me. Now, can I enhance that skill level? Yes, by doing what God's called me to do, by being, being diligent in my study. But... I need to look at this as God hadn't called me to be like other people. He's called me to be me, 
And he's called me to be me using the gifts that he has given me. And the same thing is true for you, right? So we, we ought to look at it in that way. It's all about God and not about us. And if we do that, we won't be high-minded about ourselves, right? We'll understand that this is a work of God in us, and we'll celebrate everybody else that God is using and doing, uh, using the gifts that God has given to them. First um, Peter 5, 5 through 6. Listen to what Peter does. He, he parallels Paul. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We can stop there and preach for a while. Uh, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. That's the heart of what Paul is saying. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You see, our problem is we want to exalt ourselves, don't we? We want to raise ourselves up. But what God's calling us to do is submit ourselves to him and trust him to raise us up when he wants to raise us up. And if we do that, we won't even know when God's raising us up because we'll just be being obedient to what God has called us to do and gifted us to do. So that leads us to point number two. The diversity, the unified diversity and that doesn't even make good sense, does it? But I think that's what Paul is painting a picture of, the unified diversity that characterizes saving grace. Verses 4 and 5. Look, look with me what Paul says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. First point Paul is making very clear. He starts off right out of the gate. There, are, there is absolutely and only one body of Christ. And we're part of it. If we are in Christ, we are part of the body of Christ. This is not, there's not a body of Ronnie, right? There's not a body of fill in the blank with your name. There's one body and that body belongs to Christ. And it's made up of every believer who has ever lived in every point of history who all over this world. We, we need to understand that, that what we're doing here is just a small portion of the body of Christ. That the body of Christ transcends, I get it, it's hard to believe, Friendship, Alabama, right? The body of Christ transcends the state of Alabama. The body of Christ, believe it or not, even transcends the borders of the United States of America. The body of Christ is worldwide, and there's one of them. And then that, that implies there's only one head of that body, and that head is Jesus Christ. And we're all members of that one body set apart by God, as we're going to find out, gifted by God, to do what the head of this body wants us to do. Man, if we'll just keep that in mind, it'll help us have a humble attitude about who we are and what it is that we're doing and that we're part of something that is bigger than any of us, right? And that ought to unify us, that we are part of one body of Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, and 6, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all 
and through all and in all. I think Paul wants us to understand there's one body and there's one leader and that's God. And we're part of that body. And God's called us to that body. And he's equipped us to be ministers in that body in whatever capacity it is that he's equipped you to do so. But then Paul doesn't stop there because sometimes we might think we have to lose our individuality as part of this body. And look at what Paul says. Hey, there's many members in this body. None of these, these members don't have the same function in this body. So what is he saying? While we are one body and we're all members of that one body, we are still individuals who come to Christ individually. And God has created us uniquely as individuals and he gifts us uniquely as individuals. So we don't lose our individuality. We don't all become carbon cutouts of one another. Although we try to make ourselves that way, don't we? Christianity through the years, haven't we done that? We, we try to make a cookie cutter mold of how each one of us ought to look, right? When it comes down to preachers, you know, preachers almost always, hopefully I break that mold, but almost always they have a cookie cutter mold of how they ought to look and how they ought to sound, right? And I go out of my way sometimes to try not to be like what people think preachers ought to be in the sense of dress and, and the way they sound and those kinds of things because I had to realize God didn't call me to be that. He called me to be me and to use the gift in my personality and my ability. So every individual in this body called Friendship Baptist Church is important and unique and God has made you that way, and he wants to use you in that way by gifting you to be a part of this body and have a particular function to accomplish the overall one purpose of the one body. And then the, the, sec, the, the next thing I think that you and I need to understand about this, there's one body, and we are individuals in that body, right? We're unique individuals, gifted in unique ways, as we'll find out. But look at what Paul says at the end of this thing. He says, we are individual members, one of another. We are intertwined together in this body. Again, it doesn't lose our individuality, but you and I need to understand that we function together as one unit. We, we are one, we are part of the same body of Christ and we are connected to one another through that body of Christ. And somewhere in these notes I have, there are no lone ranger Christians, right? God never intended it to be that way. As a matter of fact, the lone ranger wasn't lone because he had Tonto right? We are meant to be in community with one another in the kingdom of God. And we're meant to relate to one another in that community in the kingdom of God. In light of the redeeming work that Christ has done in our life, the regenerative work that he's done for us and through us. And we are called to be part of that body as individual believers and we unite with Christ and we unite with one another in this body of faith. And so Paul is reminding us, I think, hey, there are no big eyes and little use. Now we want to be that way, don't we? We want to, I, I get this, we, we may not want to, but inevitably we do, don't we? Inevitably we always come up with a way in our, in our lives to elevate, elevate people or push people down, right? 
Well, God's saying that's not the way it is in the, in the family of faith. That ought not be the way it is in the family of faith. Because we're all part of the same body. We're all intertwined with one another in this same body. And we're all, while we're not the same, we come to God the same way. In brokenness and repentance and faith. And we need the same thing from God. Redemption and healing and mercy and grace and justice. I mean, ju- uh, justification, right? We, we need those things from God. And so all of us in that way come equally to God the same way. But God has uniquely created us and given us abilities and talents. And God intends to use that individuality as part of this one whole that he has brought us uh, into. Now, that leads us to point number three. Hey, this may be the shortest sermon that I have done for you guys, even though I have more notes in front of me than I usually have. We'll camp out for just a second on this first um, gift, and then we'll, we'll hit them bullet points, and we'll, we'll be done. But look at this idea of this duty that God, that characterizes saving grace. And I think what Paul is trying to help us understand is when we come to faith in God, it's the same thing that James says. Faith without works is what? Well, it's dead, faith, right? Now, he's not saying works save you, but what is he saying? That when you come to faith in Christ, works ought to follow and I think that's the duty and responsibility of believers to offer themselves, offer their bodies as living sacrifices. What does that mean? We present ourselves to God and we yield ourselves to God. We say what Isaiah said. We say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Right? And then we do what it is that God's called us to do and gifted us to do uh, in our everyday lives. And that way, we, are, we become obedient to what it is that God has called us to be and do in this one body, in this one kingdom. So he says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to grace given to us, that depends on your translation as if, if this next phrase is in there, the ESV and some other translations have, let us use them. Now, I have to be honest with you, in the, in the Greek, in the original, that phrase is not there, Okay. But why some translators put it there is because they link this back to verse 5 when it talks about those who have. So we have these gifts, right? The implication is we ought to use them. So grammatically, they make the argument that this phrase is well-placed here. And if you you understand it, that's really the implication of what Paul is saying when it comes to these gifts. You got them, use them. Because what he's about to tell us in every one of these uh, gifts that he has, if this is your gift, this is how you use it. So the implication is right that we ought to use them. Then he begins to list these gifts. Now, I have to give you a warning. These gifts, these gift list of gifts, they're not all inclusive, okay? There's one here. There's one in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. There's one in Ephesians chapter 4. And they're not exactly the same. They're not the same length. And they're not all inclusive. I think these are the gifts that God is using as examples that he gives to Christians. And Paul's making the point that there are a diversity of them. And if you have it, this is how you ought to use it. And you ought to use it in light of the fact that it's God who's granted it to you. God who's gifted it to you. And God who expects you to use it. Not for your own glory, but for the glory and the benefit of the kingdom. So he goes on to say, if prophecy in in proportion to our faith, if service 
in our serving, uh, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, the first thing I think you and I need to tackle in this passage is what really we have, um, I think, alluded to already. God's given us grace gifts. Now, what Paul says, having gifts. And that's really a participle. <laughs> this is something ongoing in our life. We have these gifts on a daily basis. We are to be using these gifts. God's the one who's given the gift. So the implication, what is it? Every believer in Christ Jesus has been granted graced gifts by God. Now, here's what I don't want you to pigeonhole yourself into. You know, everybody in here is probably, if you've been in church any length of time in your life, at some point or another, you've probably taken a spiritual gift survey, right? Well, yes, more than one time, okay? And nothing necessarily wrong with that, but here's what you, you and I need to understand. I think what we find out in our own lives and what I think we find out biblically is that we, we have a measure of a multitude of these giftednesses, right? We're not, we, we may be strong in one and weaker in, the, in another, but over the scope, we have a variety of them that we can use as individuals that God has gifted us. But I just don't want you to think that I, only, I have one gift and that's the only gift I have and that's, that's the only thing that I can do, right? The reality is you've you got a wide variety of gifts at a different level that God's given you. But the greater implication is every believer has one. That means you can't sit on the sideline. You can't use the excuse that I don't have a gift, that God has not gifted me to do anything in his kingdom. Well, if he hadn't gifted you to do anything in his kingdom, if he didn't leave, here, leave you here to be obedient and function in his kingdom, then he would have just taken you on to heaven when you got saved. Every believer is gifted by God to function in some capacity in the body of Christ. And it's our responsibility to begin to understand that giftedness in our life. And I'll tell you, one of the ways that, that you begin to realize that is you just begin to do things and find out that, hey, this is the thing that gives me the most joy and passion in my life. It fulfills me as I do this for the kingdom of God. And then other people come alongside of you and they begin to confirm that in you. I see this in you, right? This is the way that I think that, that God is using you and bringing glory to his name. And you begin to get confirmation about those kinds of things. So most of us, we have an idea usually of what it is that God's gifted us to do. Our problem is we're too scared sometimes to step out and just do what it is we think that God has called us to do. Hey, been there, done that, right? Took me eight years to say, yes, Lord, I'll stand up here and do what it is that you've called me to do. I, I will become a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ in, a, in an official capacity because I said no, right? I, I, I'm the guy who would take a zero in speech class. But, you know, I, I said, nope, I'm not, I'm not giving a speech, right? You can just go on and mark that zero down because I'm not standing up in front of people and embarrassing myself, right? And so God uh, had to work a little while on me to get me to the point where it was actually my wife. I told you all this story, didn't I? It was my wife. She finally said after eight years of it, hey, either you're going to preach or you're going to shut up talking about it. Okay, so here I am today. But every one of us has a gift, is what I'm saying to you. And God's gifted us according to his measure of grace. It's him working through us. 
All right, the next thing I think we need to look at are these particular gifts. And I think the hardest one for us, well, that's not hard. Uh, the one with the most diversity of understanding is the very first one, this idea of prophecy, okay? And so we look, Paul says, he begins to give this list of gifts. There's seven of them in this particular list and don't, don't make any uh, significance over the number seven. This is not revelation. This is not in, a, in an, uh, you know, an apocalyptic type of writing. This is not symbolic. I think Paul just lists seven gifts, the first seven that come to his mind when he's writing this uh, text for us um, that we're reading today. And so he says, if prophecy, then according to, and again, depending on your translation, what, what word in the English comes next, the proportion is what most of them are going to say, or the measure, it may say, uh, of, and then again, depends on your translation, what the next word is before faith. Some will say the faith, some will say our faith, some will say his faith, okay? And so that's why all of those varying uh, translations help us understand that there is some differing of opinion as it relates to this issue of prophecy. And I won't, I'll try not to belabor it too long, but I think we need to at least explore uh, what is understood about this idea of prophecy. And there's two aspects to prophecy most theologians understand. One is forth-telling, as in the Old Testament, as in the prophets who would receive a word from the Lord. You know how the prophets begin a lot of times. Thus said the Lord, or the Lord spoke to me, and this is what he said. And then even with the New Testament, in the apostolic era, there, there are people who had prophetic utterances. We see John in, in Revelation, although Revelation is probably the, un, uh, the unsealing of what Daniel was told to seal up. But anyway, John is an example of that. And we see prophetic utterances even in the church in the first century uh, in the apostolic age as well. Uh, there, So there's this aspect of forth-telling. God gives a word to someone, and they tell what that word is that came from the Lord. And then the second aspect of prophecy is foretelling. I got them backwards. Foretelling and then forth-telling. Foretelling, telling something that is unknown, predicting the future in that kind of sense. And then there is forth-telling, which is ultimately proclaiming what God has already stated, in particular in this context, in his revealed word. Okay? Now, it depends on your theological understanding and your presupposition as to how you understand what Paul is saying about prophecy in this particular text. Because there are those who would say that prophecy is one of those sign gifts that ceased when the apostolic age ceased. I happen to be one of those people who would say that prophecy in that sense of, of un, uh, uh, new revelation, uh, to put it that way, has ceased with the end of the apostolic age and the canon of the scripture because God has given us his revelation in his word and there is no new revelation. Um, God has given us everything he wants us to know about him and everything we need to know is in his word and he uses the Holy Spirit to lead us into that truth. Now there are those obviously that disagree with me because of the language that's in this text, right? Some of those would say that this is still an ongoing gift and that this gift is to be used in proportion to the measure of the faith that God has given that person. They should not use this gift outside the measure of that faith. And so prophecy is still a living uh, gift in that way. Well, obviously I've already told you, I think this is a gift that has ceased in the sense of forth 
foretelling that there's no new revelation, but I think it is applicable to the, our idea of what we would call preaching or proclaiming God's word in the forth telling of God's word. And I'm about to explain to you why I believe that. It's because of two words in this sentence here. Uh, the first word is the word we get, the English word analogy. It's the word that's translated, you, probably in your text, portion or proportion. Uh, analogion is the Greek word, and it's made up of two words. Again, uh, the first is a preposition, really. It's ana, A-N-A, and it means up or uh, to go up. And the second is logos. Now, we've heard the term logos before, right? Ain R-K, ain halagos. In the beginning was the word in John chapter 1. Uh, and so logos, in a very basic way, is word. But you can hear in Lagos the idea of logic, right? And obviously, like we said, analogy. Uh, Legizomai, you remember we talked about that word, and it had to do with uh, uh, assigning something to a particular column on a, on a sheet of numbers, right? So it has this idea of logic behind it. And it's translated sometimes in English as, as analogy. We have a theology that we call the analogy of the faith or analogy of Scripture. What are we saying when we say, about, when we say that? We're saying that everything that someone says is truth from God ought to line up with the weight of the rest of Scripture. Now, this, this word is unique because it's what is called a hapox legomena. It is used only one time in the New Testament, and this is the only time that it's used. And so in our under, trying to understand what words are and how they're used and what the definition is, we go to the immediate context, and then we try to find how the author's used it in another place. Well, our problem here is Paul hadn't used it anywhere else. This is it in all of the New Testament. So all we have is what is here other than what's outside of here in uh, ancient Greek history. And Aristotle used this word, but he used it in a mathematical sense as it related to geometric shapes, okay? So again, you can make an argument for proportion uh, in that sense as geometric shapes have proportion, but you can also make the argument that it's a logical relationship to one side or the other in a geometrical shape based on mathematical equations and mathematical laws, so you still find the logic in there. So, with all that said, I bored you to death. Wake up. All right, so you and I need, I think, that Paul uses this intentionally because there's a distinction about this faith as versus the faith we saw in verse 3. You remember verse 3, we said it's subjective faith, that faith that we use every single day in the ministry of our gifts and serving the Lord. And the main reason is because in that grammatical structure, there is no definite article before, before the word pistos, which is faith. It just goes straight from the measure, and it's in the genitive, so it's of faith. Here, it is different. It is the analogion teis pisteos. Teis is the definite article, the word the. So what does Paul say? He says that if you're going to prophesy, you do it in the analogy of the faith. To me, that sounds objective. In other words, the faith that has been handed down once for all to the saints. The, the, the body of doctrine that's been handed down is how you ought to exercise this gift. 
That's why I believe that this gift has to do with more the idea of what Paul tells Timothy when he says to preach the word, right? And he tells him to exhort and to rebuke and, and uh, to instruct and those kinds of things that he leaves there. And all of that is weighed against the solid body of doctrine. There's nothing that I should, I have nothing to say to you other than what this word says to you. If I endeavor to say more than this word says to you, then you need to get rid of me and find someone else who will say to you what this word says to you. That's my responsibility. My responsibility is not to give you new and unique revelation. My responsibility is to expound for you the revelation that God has already given to us in his word. And the Holy Spirit works in you and in me to lead us into the truth of that revelation, right? And so I think that's what this gift is talking about. Now, again, you can differ with me on that, and you have, a, you have plenty of evidence out there to legitimize your argument for that. But that's where I stand on this idea of prophecy. But the point that Paul's making is if God's given you this gift, then do it. And do it in accordance with the standard of faith that is set before you in God's word. And then he goes on real quickly in a, in a bullet point uh, kind of way. He, he lists several. He says, listen, if service, and that's really the word we get deacon from, okay? If service, and you, you guys have heard plenty of sermons on deacons, right? Table waiters, that's how they started out in Acts chapter 6, right? Uh, serving those widows that were there and dealing with the dispute that was among them, but it's this idea of service. So I think in this gift, we see uh, the reality of how God uses giftedness. One, this gift can be, any Christian should have, can have a gift of service, right? Any Christian could have this gift, but this gift is also associated with a particular office of ministry called the ministry of the deacon in the church. So it's not either or, it's both and. Not everybody can be a deacon because there are certain requirements that have to be met to be a deacon in First uh, Timothy chapter 3, I believe it is. But everyone can have the gift of service if God so chooses to give them. And again, when I say that, all of us to some degree have the gift of service, right? After all, Jesus is our example, and Paul's already told us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, to have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And what's he saying? Christ came to serve. He humbled himself in service. And so all of us should have some aspect of that gift in our life, but there are some that this is their passion in life, that God has gifted them in this way, and they serve in that way. <clears throat> Then he says teaching, which teaching I think is distinct from this idea of prophecy or even preaching. Teaching and preaching go hand in hand, really, because in preaching you have teaching, but preaching goes beyond that. Preaching goes to exhorting and drawing and compelling people to be obedient to God or come to faith in Christ. Uh, and so if you have this gift, how are you to use it? Well, use it in teaching, right? So the implication is use the gift that God has given you. And any Christian can have the gift of teaching. Not every gift Christian can stand in, in a pulpit and, and be the pastor. Why? Because there are certain requirements that uh, have been set out for those who would be in that capacity. But every Christian can have the gift of teaching, and they ought to use that gift that God has given to him. Hey, men and women can have the gift of teaching, and they ought to use that gift if God has given it to them. 
Exhortation. And this is really uh, parakaleo, calling alongside of. And the implication is to, to come alongside of someone, to, to lift them up, to encourage them, to help them in that time of trouble. So even in that gift, you see the idea of service and help is, is tied in with that gift as well. And there are those people who are gifted in that way, that they see the needs and the hurt and the brokenness in other people, and they call, they come alongside of them and lift them up, right? And that's what God says. If that's your gift, then use it in that way. And then we have this one about contribution, right? Uh, it's really to, 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 to give in a general sense and the idea of sharing with other people. You know, we all, we've all heard the, uh, the declaration about folks, I mean, he'd give you the shirt off of his back, right? That, that's the attitude of this person who has this gift of contribution, that it gives them great pleasure to, to give and to share what God, all of us have been called to give, right? All of us have been called to, to help our brother in need, but there are those who God has specifically and uniquely gifted in this way that it gives them great pleasure. They find fulfillment in, in meeting the needs of other people. And he says that these people um, are to do this with uh, simplicity. It really, I think generosity is in, uh, in, the, in the text, is the translation of that. But, but the word picture behind the Greek word that's used for, that's translated generosity there, uh, is unfolded. It's like folding up a sheet, right? And it just has the negation on the front of the word, the, the alpha there that says not folded. And so what is the implication is if you fold a sheet, there's a, there's a lot of, at least so I've heard, there's a lot of complicated folds in a sheet, right, when you put it together. Well, what he's saying, I, I put it in the best way I can do in our vernacular. Well, there's no strings attached. This is simplicity. Some, somebody's just giving and it's not complicated. They don't expect anything from you. They don't expect anything from others. It's just simply them giving out of the goodness and the graciousness of their heart with no strings attached. This is God's ministry through them. That's what he's talking about in this kind of giving. And then he uses the, the, the gift leadership. And again, leadership is another gift. Any Christian can have leadership. There's certain elements of leadership or, or I guess we, we, we would say uh, positions of leadership that they are biblical requirements for a person to have. But anybody could take the lead and be a leader in ministry in, in certain areas in the church. And so the Lord is saying, the one who has the gift of leadership, use it in leading. Well, you'll find yourself doing that, right? You will find yourself in the group whenever something needs to be done, you just help step up and you step forward and start taking the lead. You, you might not even consciously think about it. It may be that no one else wants to do it and you just automatically take the lead. Well, you may have that gift of leadership, right? Use it. Use it. And understand that God's gifted you in that way and use it to lead the people of God to accomplish the, 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 the mission that God has set before us as, as believers in Christ. And then the final one is mercy. If you have this gift of mercy, he says, do it with, you don't, you don't see it in, in the, in the uh, English. The English says compassion or um, joy or something like that. But it's, it's where we get the, the English word, the Greek words, where we get the English word hilarious. Okay. So it's that, it's that not hilarious in a bad sense that we're, we're making fun of people and it's hilarious but hilarious in the fact that it, it brings so much 
jubilance to a person's spirit to be merciful, right? And I have to tell you, that's not the highest one on my gift list. <laughs> a person that is gets great joy out of being merciful. Now, I'm not saying that to say that that's the right way to be. We all ought to, you know, as a matter of fact, I ought to say, God, give me more of that spirit. Give me more of that ability, right, to be merciful. Why? Because, man, he was sure merciful to me, right? I didn't deserve anything merciful. I deserve all the wrath and all the judgment that he could send my way. But in spite of that, through Christ Jesus, he chose to show his grace and his mercy. And praise the Lord for that, right? So I ought to be, above all people, more merciful. If you have that gift of mercy, use it. So, Paul's told us, and we're, we're done. There's one body. It's not your body. It's not my body. It's the body of Christ. And we're all members of it. All those who believe in Christ. All those who are in Christ are in this body. God's called us to this body. And all those who are members of this body, God has gifted them to function in the body of Christ. And there's not one gift that is any better than the other or any lesser than the other. As a matter of fact, we don't, I don't want to go there because I'll get bogged down there again. The, Go to Corinthians, go to Ephesians, and in particular Corinthians, and read about Paul as it relates to gifts. We ought not raise our gift to a level of superiority, and we ought not demean anyone else's gift because God's the one who gave every one of us the gifts he's given us. And they're intended for us to use them in accordance to his will and the accomplishment of his mission for his body. So everyone, don't use the excuse that you don't have one. You, you will never be fulfilled in your Christian life until that day that you are doing what it is that God has gifted you to do. Now, is it easy? Not always. But there's no place for any Christian to sit on the sideline. There's no place for any Christian to say, hands off. I'm just here to, to worship or whatever. You can't rightly worship here on Sunday unless you're rightly worshiping God by presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. And part of that is doing what it is that God has gifted you to do on a daily basis, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Until we all come to that level of understanding, we are not doing and we are not being what God has called us to be. So I don't know where it is that you are. Christian, hey, have you realized what it is that God's gifted you to do? And are you using it? If not, ask God to help you see what it is he wants you to do and to help you see how it is that you can use it.
And let me give you, let me, let me clue you in on something else. You don't need my permission to use your gift. You understand that? You, we don't have to have a special meeting. You don't have to wait till the 19th when we have a business meeting and say, hey, uh, can I use my spiritual gift? No. If God's gifted you, be about doing it. Make ways to do it. That's what I say. If I'm not standing here preaching, you know what I'm going to be doing? If y'all fired me tomorrow, you know what I'd be doing every Sunday? I'd be on Facebook doing something. Uh, I'd be in a church somewhere, but uh, I'd be teaching. I'd be preaching. I'd be doing what it is that God's called me to do because this is what he called me to do. This is what brings me the greatest passion and joy in my life, aside from my family. Do what it is God's called you to do. And if you're not a believer, the only thing that you can do is throw yourself on the mercy and grace of God because judgment's awaiting you. We're going to pray, and then we'll have a time to respond. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this privilege that you've given us. Thank you for the word and the truth of the word. Father, I have to say, first and foremost, forgive me for not always doing what it is that you've called me and created me to do in the way that you've called me to do it, Lord. Forgive me for those areas that I have failed. And I pray, Father, that you would help me going forward to be better at what you've called me to do. And the only way I can do that, Lord, is you working in me through the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for those in this place today, maybe they don't really know what it is or understand completely what it is you've called them to do or created them to do. Help them to see that today through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through confirmation of others around them. And help them to get busy about doing what it is you've gifted them to do. Help us, Lord, as a body, understand that we, we are united that we are we are a family, that we are part of the 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 household, the archaeos, the household of God. And we ought to function in that way. And Father, if there's anyone lost in this place today, that you would redeem them in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.